Welcome to episode number 35 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We're creating a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. Today's episode, we're talking with design and certification of explosion-proof vacuum systems. We're talking with Scott Borsma, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Sales Officer at Delphin Industrial Corporation based out of Minneapolis. Scott, thanks for coming on the Dust Safety Science Podcast. And thanks for having me. So Scott has 20 years in the baking of food industries, um, over 10 of those serving the industrial vacuum market. And he brought Delphin Vacuum Systems to North America 2017 with Delphin Industrial Corporation. Uh, he's been a big supporter of MyDustExplosionResearch.com back in the old days and Dust Safety Science today. I'm reaching out pretty early in our development and pretty early in his development with, with uh, Delphin Industrial Corporation just, just to talk and express some of the issues that he saw over his, his long career in these industries handling combustible dust. So an ongoing topic that we talk about quite a bit on the show is housekeeping. And there's really two parts of housekeeping, not generating the dust and generating the mess is one side. And we've talked about that a lot. And then the other side, how do you clean up? How do you safely clean up that material? Um, which is sort of the, the other side. And part of that is, is vacuum systems and having a safe vacuum system do that. And I want to get Scott on because he's really, you know, the, the expert in this area, or one of the experts in this area, from the, the application side. So that's really what we'll be talking about today. Again, design and certification of these explosion-proof vacuums. And for Scott, for kind of a jumping in place, um, can you just go through some of your background in industries handling combustible dust? Sure, yeah, thanks Chris. Um, so my background started uh, probably, like you said, 10, 12 years ago and in selling vacuum systems, industrial vacuum systems. So I had the fortunate role of taking over a six-state territory and knocking on doors every day, looking at applications in essentially every industry. And our focus at the time was in industrial manufacturing plants, uh, although it did jump into some other things as well. But uh, the, mo the main focus was industrial manufacturing plants. Uh, I probably can't count how many plants I've actually walked through and how many different applications I've seen. Uh, however, uh, it still surprises me that every day I find something new still to this day. And, and every time you think you've got something right, it seems as if, uh, you know, the, the application changes just a little bit. And you have to tweak something new. Um, so, you know, just an extensive background walking through plants, seeing applications, really trying to find the right solutions for customers, not just in the vacuum systems, but in the tooling and uh, making sure that we have all the right certifications that are compliant for uh, clean, keeping plants clean. And, and our, our, our focus has always been to make sure that we're using safe handling equipment so that um, everybody walking in the plant every day walks out of the plant the same way. Uh, we make sure everybody's healthy and, and safe that's using the equipment and, and trained uh, and knowledgeable and educated on, on, on doing that. So uh, a lot of my experience comes with uh, educating on what is an industrial vacuum system, why it's needed, and a lot of the experience also comes from training employees on on how to use the equipment. Uh, so I think those are some of the biggest topics that 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 we've that we've done in the field, uh, and it all really revolves around the, the certifications, you know. So so that's kind of my my background. And then the last couple of years has been here leading Delphin, uh, one of the global leaders in industrial vacuum systems needed a launch in the U.S. market. So I've taken on that role now to, to uh, educate an entire team of employees and distributors to, to, to do the same. Yeah, I imagine it's uh, going from kind of single person knocking on doors trying to get, 
get things safe one dust particle at a time as at a time as, as Delvin's logo is to moving to a a team and educating the team and and bringing those people online to have a wider reach is it's probably pretty interesting from your perspective to see that kind of grow and the impact that you're making. Yeah, it's a huge goal. I mean, when I came into launching Delphin here, we we considered bringing on people that were in the industry already or or people that um, were new and fresh minds. And uh, we tried to do a little bit of both, uh, if you will. We do have a couple of very experienced vacuum salespeople here from uh, from from past uh, you know work relationships and through through our vast network, but uh, we brought in quite a bit. A lot of people here that we brought in or had never heard of an industrial vacuum system before. So most of our processes at Delphin have revolved around the training of that, not just to our own employees, but I can tell you our warehouse manager, our customer service manager, our marketing team, our interns are just as trained in industrial vacuums as the salespeople. So that if you call Delphin, you you typically have somebody that can help you uh, understand what um, you know what what certifications you need, what types of applications you're going through, at least the basics of what vacuum um, system. We find it that it's that important, you know, that um, every customer that's out there right now, the biggest thing is the education. And in order for us to lead by example, that's that's where we everybody here has to know that. No, it makes a lot of sense. So I want to go back. You you mentioned. On the application side, the, the biggest question that your two biggest questions were, what is an explosion-proof vacuum? What is the appropriate vacuum for handling combustible dust? And then why is it needed? So it's kind of a good place to start. What What is an explosion-proof vacuum? Yeah, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what an explosion-proof vacuum system is. There are a lot of companies, good companies, quality companies today that really have dug into certifying their products for uh, hazardous locations. So I like to split this up into two separate conversations. Are we handling a combustible dust in a non-hazardous environment or are we in a classified hazardous environment handling the same dust? So oftentimes I think there's a lot of confusion around that. Um, so we, in the United States, we use a class system. So we have a class group and division system and any environment that's considered a hazardous location will be will will carry a class division and group which identifies the type of uh, product that's a hazard within that environment so if we look at class ones we talk about gases liquids and vapors if we talk about class twos typically that's where our, our dusts are class threes are flyings and fibers where dolphins home is and where we typically focus is in the class two which is our, our dust particulates all albeit you know we do get into some class one and class threes but but our, our focus is class two, and that's really yours as, as well. This the, the purpose of this call is the class two. When we talk about division, divisions are usually uh, division one is means that it's normally present that the dust is normally present in the atmospheric environment. If we talk about a division two, it would mean that it's abnormally present in the environment. So, class two div one and class two div two is really the, the main focus of our certifications for for most industrial vacuum systems uh, going into the plants today handling combustible dust. The, if we shift back to the non-hazardous uh, locations where we are handling a combustible dust, it, it's important to note that, that whenever we're handling a combustible dust, uh, we're, we're essentially taking that dust and bringing it into, a, an, into an enclosure and, 
and we're mixing it with air and we're uh, putting it basically uh, have some ignition sources around it like a motor or static that builds up and so even though we're not in a hazardous environment the vacuum itself sometimes can act as its own environment of uh, of, of a hazardous environment so we have to be careful to make sure that we're protecting the vacuum regardless of the environment we're in we have the division ones division twos of class two or we're going to have potentially um, in a non-hazardous environment, but still needing the same basic protection on a vacuum that we might see in a class two division two, just because we're handling combustible dust. And really that's the, the trick of the NFPA that they've kind of put together some of these new standards that really identify how, how are we handling, first of all, what are we handling? How are we handling that with a vacuum system is our primary goal. And then is it in a hazardous environment or do we just need to protect it when we're not in a hazardous environment? So those are the kind of three areas I see us focusing on mostly. Yeah. Thanks for the breakdown. I mean, that simple step-by-step process is really important. I, I imagine that's a lot of the teaching you're, you're doing. I don't know how many times you've, you've told that class then div and hazardous area versus non-hazardous area and both need to be protected and maybe protected in different ways. You probably, you probably say that about 10 times a day, I guess, when you're out in the field. <laughs> yeah, once or twice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, and I think, Chris, the, the focus is, you know, when NFPA revised some of these standards, they basically wrote into the NFPA 652 that, uh, 654, 652, that, um, you know, yes, we're not in this environment, but the basic criteria for handling um, the dust in that vacuum system is, is that we need to have the basic protection bonding, uh, meaning that each piece of the vacuum system is bonded together uh, so that it can conduct any type of, uh, any type of uh, electricity through it uh, from piece to piece. So whether it's tabbed with ground wires or if it's uh, metal on metal connection, and then it has to be tested to make sure that that bonding is, is, is true, right? So that essentially um, any type of, any type of arcing inside of the electric arcing inside of the system can find a safe earth ground without causing a spark or an arc, uh, which can ignite the product. That's, that's what bonding does. And then bonding and grounding. So you hear bonding and grounding often. So bonding, bonding is one thing. Grounding is the other is making sure we have safe paths to ground. And typically we do some redundant paths to ground. So you may have one through the electrical cord, which is the grounding, um, of the of the motor back to the uh, electrical outlet ground, but that can fail, right? There's oftentimes the grounding plug is taken off, or um, you're not in a safe outlet, uh, whatever it may be. So then there may be grounding chains on the vacuum, or there may be grounding casters, or there may be uh, separate alligator clamps that are allowed to be put to a grounding a ground rod. So there's there's different ways to ground the vacuum out, but we do need to have bonding in the vacuum and grounding in the vacuum in order to make sure that everything is um, static dissipative. Uh, we're protecting from three the three forms of arcing. So electric arcing is the number one that we typically look at. Static arcing, so as particles come in and they move quickly through the vacuum system, they tend to generate a lot of static electricity, uh, depending on the product, some more than others. And then the third thing is percussion arcing. So if something were to hit the side of the vacuum or something were to hit the, um, come in contact with it and cause 
Think of two flint rocks hitting each other, cause an arc. That way, we would have to protect and make sure that that's grounded out as well. So, um, so these are the things. This, these are the principles of a vacuum that is safe for an industrial use. And we talk about anytime we're handling a KST of over zero, which is most products in most industries, right? And and not necessarily in a hazardous environment, but as we said, this is even handling that product, even if it's not in a hazardous environment, the vacuum still needs to have these basic principles so that we can keep it safe from itself, from igniting itself, right? And so what we do is we build a platform that is bonded, grounded, and has all the right componentry for that, uh, which, uh, and here's the kicker, that vacuum system that's compliant for combustible dust typically is, is built almost identically to what we would sell for a class two division two environment. So most vacuum companies, and here's the trick for everything, most companies now have have defaulted to just building a class two division two platform, which is also compliant for handling a combustible dust in a non-hazardous environment. And I think if you look at probably the four or five major companies that are in this industry, that's that's one platform of vacuum systems that's certified. And, and it's being used for probably 80% of the applications. Forgive me on that number. I don't have facts to back that up, but from sales that we've done, you know, you, you may see that that's the case. And then only where there's dust, you know, in a class two division one, uh, where the dust is always present, there's no way to stop it from being present. It's in the air um, all the time. Then we would shift to a class two division one certification for that, meaning everything externally, internally on the vacuum is, is protected to the highest level. Yeah, that's a great Great overview, and I appreciate you sharing that. I'm just going to highlight some of the points. So I guess the features of, of a explosion-proof vacuum, some of the big ones are the bonding. So it's internally, it needs to be able to dissipate static electricity and electrical arc and any sort of buildup. That's not enough, though. It needs to be able to get to ground. Otherwise, you're just going to have a, an arc when, you, when it gets to the whatever the next piece of equipment is. Um, so it's got to be grounded as well. Um, I really like the breakdown of the different type of arcing because we haven't covered that in the, the podcast and it's probably of interest to the, the listeners. So electric arcing, static arcing, and then percussion arcing. And this is like two objects banging together, like two flint rocks banging together. We talked about how a lot of the, the major companies are moving towards... Well, actually, I want to take a step back. So you had a really good point about the dust. If the vacuum's handling combustible dust, it is the hazardous area. Like the inside the vacuum is a hazardous area. Even if it's not inside of a hazardous area, being used as a hazardous area, you still need to protect that vacuum from, from having explosions. So um, that's a really great way to think about it. And then from there, you're saying a lot of the companies are moving forward and um, implementing at a minimum a class two, dib two type design, type platform as sort of the baseline if you're handling combustible dust, anything with KST greater than zero. Um, so that's sort of, sort of my summary of, of going through. Is that that sound accurate? Very accurate. And you, you hit the nail on the head. The biggest point is, is that the platform of Class 2 Div 2 is really covering, you know, the majority of the applications in the industry today. You know, so even if you're not in a hazardous environment, but you need to pick up the, the dust, some companies are just um, the safety managers are acting as an authority having jurisdiction or, or they have an authority having jurisdiction come in. 
and they just classify it as a class two div two because there's there's more than that you know 30 second of an inch of dust in the plant and so until they clean it up if, if, the, if the plant's not clean and it is a combustible dust and you do some basic testing typically you'll find that most most of those can you could fairly easily consider a class two div two but where you haven't had that done that assessment done yet and there's quite a few plants i would say a lot of plants out there today that haven't had that assessment done yet but they know they do have a combustible dust. So I think a lot more companies have at least done their dust testing, but maybe not gone as far as a DHA or haven't got their DHAs yet. Um, this is where we find this gray area and, and the platforms of vacuum companies have developed the platform that, that covers both, right? So, so it's a fairly easy decision. As long as you're not you know, knowingly in a class two division one, this platform is giving you kind of uh, a, kind of a, uh, uh, cover everything, cover all type solution, right? And so I think that's that's been a really good thing for us and for a few other uh, of the leading vacuum companies out there to um, to offer to the industry to say, hey, look, guys, you know, um, first of all, you got to get the dust clean, right? You get, that's the number one thing. Housekeeping is the number one practice that resolves all the safety issues for combustible dust. So here you go. This is a fairly safe vacuum system to start with that gives you the ability to clean. And if you're cleaning your dust and it's not present in the atmosphere or in the room, in the environment, then then you're you're on a really good track in the first place, right? So here's that, here's, here's that middle ground that covers you. It's something that you can use to pick up a combustible dust. And we're not talking about the, the group E dust, the metal dust that that is the um, has its own set of rules. We're talking about the dust that has a KST, maybe not super high or um, you know, that it's not falling under a different NFPA guideline, like we have sulfur or we have uh, specific dust that are uh, covered under another guideline. This is a general, that's a general dust that we're all trying to understand that gray area. And the class two division two vacuums really cover cover that type of dust. And they're, they're okay if you're in a class two division two environment. So the reason why the platform is so broad and why we can use it in so many different arenas is again, because of the design criteria we talked about, and I'll expand upon that. So we talked about the bonding and grounding. Typically, these vacuum systems can be fitted with anti-static hose and accessories. So we've, we've got the um, flexible connector uh, section covered. We've got the accessory section covered, um, and, and for a decent cost. Now, I mean, most of the cost of these uh, hoses and accessories were escalated in the past, but now they're fairly reasonable costs, I mean, hundreds of dollars, you know, not instead of thousands of dollars. And and then in, in addition to that, you know, we, we really have, we use in the class two division two vacuum systems, we use all the electrical circuitry from, and this is where the certifications come in, from the plug to the cord, to the switch, to the fuse, to the motor, to the con- uh, connectivity to it, the filters being anti-static filters and tested in certified, you know, so all of that connectivity that's connected to any type of electrical circuitry is tested a lot of different ways. And and it's really important for people to understand if I give any stressful point here, it's to say that the vacuum system needs to be certified as it's built. It cannot just be a company that is, uh, that is building a, a vacuum and, in whatever format they do that with an explosion proof motor and say that it's explosion proof. The certification of the motor is one component. 
all the components need to be certified. And then there has to be an additional certification for all of them connected together in the vacuum system itself as it's built. And that's the trick, right? Is all of the vacuum systems that are out there that are certified for use in an environment or with this new compliance for NFPA for the NAC 70, really, you know, it's, 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 it's all about having all of the, t- the vacuum systems as they're being built, um, certified as they're built. Uh, and for every modification of that as well. Some things we got passed in our certification and other things when we tested it caught fire, you know, which we never thought would have. The components were okay, but when we really drew the fuses up to their maximum amperage, they, they caught fire or the switch um, melted. You know, and these are hazards that wouldn't, would have passed the certification process for the component, but as it was built with the whole system, didn't pass and we had to change into something that did. And I think this is where the confusion comes in for, for the customers. They don't understand that that's a completely different thing. Yeah, I want to iterate a couple of points there. And we've sort of moved into now talking about this. We talked about the design of these systems, uh, the different components. And now we're moving into this, this world of certification and testing, which is, which is tremendously important. Two points that I wanted to bring up that you mentioned. One that's a really big one. Um, you need to certify the whole system, not the component. I mean, you need to certify the components, but in addition to that, you need to certify the whole system, which is the collection of components. Just because you have a collection of certified components does not mean you have a, a system that passes certification. And we had this conversation with uh, Jeremiah Wan of Imperial Systems in episode 29 of the podcast, where he talked about the their dust, their combustible dust collection systems and basically said, we... We had all the components. We had military-grade hardware. Everything was great. We took it down to the. Um, said this, we took it down to the Fike Testing Center and we we tested to destruction, um, and it failed. The way we were manufacturing the latches were such that each time they didn't come out um, one in ten or or whatever uh, would come, so that the the door would blow off. The latch wouldn't hold. So all the components are great, but this one little component uh, made all the difference between safe and not safe. And you don't know that unless you test. I'm going to say test to destruction. I don't know if that's the requirement, but test till you, if, if the thing works, go a little more, do the Mythbusters approach and <laughs> go all the way. And then you know where the failure points are, right? So can you talk us through that whole, so Jeremiah gave a really good background on this kind of testing process. We've had calls from groups like, well, Nicholas Kitzhoffer in episode number 24 of the podcast for Remby China. He talked about how a lot of the manufacturers of, um, explosion protection systems are are basically just copying designs of, of bigger companies and putting them out into the world no testing or certification and when explosion happens they don't they don't work um, that's pretty dangerous and i i think jeremiah may have iterated that that, that happens here in north america as well so i really want to get into this a little bit of what does testing certification look like it's a very expensive pro- process from my understanding um it's a little proprietary too so the guests that are coming on, um, I'm just encouraging him to share what what do you think educationally people need to know about testing certification with exposure vacuums? And, and it really applies to everything. I think we need to be testing all these different components of our combustible dust systems. But from your view, what what do people need to know? I mean, from a customer's perspective, I'll, I'll start there. You know, from a customer's perspective, you know, buying something without a certification puts all the risk in your in your hands. So you know, I'm not saying that you don't have any risk with um, with a certification, but it certainly 
uh, minimizes your risk tremendously because all the testing has been done. And when we talk about testing, I'm assuming we're, you know, uh, Chris, we're talking about testing by a nationally recognized testing laboratory, of course, right? So we need to make sure that when we do the testing, it's not testing we've done in our, in our garage and we, we feel that we've done a pretty good job, right? <laughs> well, that's a good point. It's probably not your local expert testing it. And it's probably not, and I got to be careful saying this one because I come from the background, it's probably not having a university test it, maybe, um, unless it's the whole testing certification environment. You need, to, you need to test and certify the testing and certification lab or else, you know, you get garbage, you can get garbage results. If they're not certified, if their systems aren't in the right process, then you you may get in trouble there. So I would say that testing here is is should be qualified as by a nationally certified laboratory. Um, certainly not by individuals. And it should be it should also be independent. So I, I wouldn't want Scott going and testing his vacuums in his garage and saying, oh these are these are really great. You know, they're they're certified. Here's the here's the the stamp. Yeah, and, it's, and I think I think where that comes into, and I'm trying not to pick on anyone here, but um, there are there are vacuum companies that do certifications for electric vacuum systems. We also make pneumatic vacuum systems, and we design those vacuum systems based off of the hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, that we put into our certifications. Um, you know, for the electric vacuum systems, we then take that technology and put it into our pneumatic vacuum systems. But it's important to note that in the U.S. market and, and most of North America, pneumatic vacuum systems are not required to be certified by a nationally recognized testing laboratory. So what we do see is, is we do see there's companies out there that just build uh, a venturi on top of a on top of a, a some sort of a collection containment with a filter and they bond it and ground it the way that they want to. And they say that that's OK. And, and, it, and it might be, you know, but. That's a self-certification. It's just an example of a self-certification. It's not tested by a nationally recognized testing laboratory. Um, I have seen even pneumatic vacuum systems, which have been tested by uh, nationally recognized testing laboratories as well. And and I know that that does exist as well. And I I think that's honorable and and great. And we we haven't done that yet um, because we don't know, quite frankly, we don't know what we would do to do that. The testing laboratories have, have not given us direction on how we can do that, but we certainly think that that's something in the future we'd like to see more of because it's it's not being done as a standard practice among, amongst the most, uh, the, the top five vacuum companies today. But it is something I think that would be very helpful. If you look at ATEX, European ATEX certification, which is different than ours, and you alluded to this, their ATEX zone 22, very similar, but not the same as our class two division two. Uh, their ATEX Zone 22 is a self-certification, so they're they're allowed to do that. They're allowed to self-certify that it's in compliance, and only if there's a failure do they do they check into it, right? So there can be a lot of failure in that. Here in the United States, we're uh, we're uh, a different set of laws that require us to prove that it's acceptable first, and then and only then can we release that under a full production run, right? And so these nationally recognized testing laboratories are there to do that. That's, that's their whole purpose is to certify that it has gone, undergone all the testing and meets all of the codes and regulations throughout all of the standards. And, um, and that's, I mean, I can't even tell you all the, 
I don't understand all the codes myself because there's so many of the codes that we have to follow and this code leads to that code. And it's, it's kind of a puzzle um, to be honest with you, but, um, but our engineer, our engineering team and their engineering team have sat down together and figured out every single code for every vacuum and every component we put into the vacuums in order to get that certification. So it's a very extensive process uh, to say it's costly is uh, a gross understatement. It's it's hugely it's it's a huge expense for a company to do that, but it's but it should be re- it, and it is required to make sure that uh, when we do put a piece of equipment into the facilities, that they're they're safe uh, safe for use, and there's really no possibility for essentially no possibility for failure. I mean, within human error. Yeah, thinking so the possibility of failure is a good point. So it's like. Know, the the 2080 rule so 20 percent of the modifications get you 80 percent of the results so if we could just reduce the number of fatalities and injuries by 80 percent let's do that first <laughs> and i think i think this is getting us there and then once we achieve that then we'll start talking about this other other stuff that may happen on top i did want to i did want to ask so on kind of top of those concepts because i've heard this a couple of times about atex where you can self-certify so my comments on the the national you know, national testing certification they're pretty uh, limited in the sense that I don't have a good scope on on what actually happens there. Um, so definitely don't take it for a hundred percent. You need to, you know, do your own research and as a company make your decisions. Um, but for ATEX, ATEX, so it's self-certification here. It's by a nationally certified lab, but that's only to say your product's certified, mm-hmm. right? Facilities can still choose to use a non-certified product. And then maybe they're, you know, maybe they get picked up by OSHA or the general duty clause. But is that is that right? Or I, I always get mixed up on how how that works. Yeah. So technically, I mean, a, a company can act as their own authority having jurisdiction, and that can go into debate with, a, like you said, like an OSHA rep or any other authority having jurisdiction. Fire marshal. We see actually insurance companies is where we what we see a lot of. Okay. Uh, kind of digging their nose and saying they're going to cancel policies if they're not going to. Uh, do some compliance, um, uh, you know, essentially shutting plants down. We've seen that on several occasions, probably probably more so than like a fire marshal or inspector. Mostly in the OSHA cases, there's fines, not as, not as harsh. But if the insurance companies come in and have something to say, if they do kind of, if and when they do have something to say, which is not, you know, but uh, not to say they, they're coming in tomorrow, but they do. And when they do have something to say, it's usually we're just going to cancel a policy and not insure you. And that that's a, a really big issue right. because then other insurance carriers won't pick them up and they they essentially can't, can't run production, right? So uh, you can't run production without insurance. So, um, so those are some of the bigger problems that we do see. Back to your question about the certification is, you know, the NFPA standards – are standards and guidelines, they're not laws, right, essentially. So they're, they're heavily encouraged to follow them. The products that we offer into the market are uh, certified to those standards to make sure that if you are going to follow those, this is certifying that these, that these vacuum systems are in compliance with those standards and guidelines. Certainly a, a company can choose to, uh, to buy anything that they choose to purchase, right? So that they would assume that risk on their own to determine if that is at risk. And so they could potentially be taking on risk that's unnecessary uh, as a result of that. Uh, the other question you asked was about the uh, the processes. So we do see there is a difference between cust- – so when you get into the 
larger vacuum systems, dust collectors. Those are typically a different, slightly different process. So having it certified uh, as it's built and having them do what they call a limited production certification where they come out in the facility, look at exactly your system. And before you plug it in, they certify it on site for one system or two systems, right? What we do on our, on our certifications is a full production certification process, which means that we have a production run. We, we get an authorization to mark all of our vacuum systems. So in this category, we build it one particular way. It is certified to be built that way. And we can run as many as we wanted them off. Uh, and we have to do required every, every quarter of the year. We have to have an inspector come in and certify, recertify every time um, that we're building it the same way. We haven't changed our production, you know, how we're producing them. Uh, if, we, if we make any modifications to the plant, we have to show them that we're still capable of producing it the same way, et cetera. So the, the reality is, is that it's not just about how we built it you know, what components we use, but then how we're actually building it in the plant, how we're shipping it and how we're delivering it to the customer. And that entire process is, is overseen by, uh, by that nationally recognized testing laboratory. So, you know, it's a lot you're getting with that. It's a higher cost, obviously initial, initial cost. Uh, and, um, however, you know, in most cases, the total cost of ownership of a, of a vacuum system that's in this process is going to be much much lower than you know something that's not certified typically. Yeah, I appreciate you going through and just outlining step by step a lot of those points because um, I've tried to figure it out uh, personally and and I've actually struggled to to understand myself, um, which means that there's you know likely a lot of listeners out there that have also tried to understand the process and they're they're also the ones that are buying these, so they have a facility, they have a sugar. Or maybe they're in Brazil right now and they're running in a sugar terminal. They're going, we have dust everywhere. You know, what do we do? If they have dust everywhere, maybe there's some steps they should be doing before and in addition to having um, proper vacuuming systems. But just understand this whole, what does certification mean? That self-certification is out there and that um, it means something different. Uh, What does it mean to have a nationally recognized lab? Um, Why prices may be higher if you're doing that? Because it is tremendously expensive to do than quarterly having inspectors come out and look at it, make sure your processes are all aligned. It's, it's a really important thing to get education out there. So that was really the, the goal for this episode was just to, to understand that a little better. I guess the, the final kind of question thing I want to lead off with, and you already, you already sort of mentioned it earlier on, but in the sense that the, one of the biggest challenges is explaining to a customer why they should want and, and really need a, a certified vacuum system in their facility. I just wanted to kind of pick your brain on that. What are, if we could, we could, I don't know, wave a magic wand today and we had these facilities running certified safe systems. What are some of the things that would have got us there through time? What are some of the kind of solutions you see that we can start looking at implementing over the next one, two, five, ten 10 years to, to get there? Yeah, it's a, it's a loaded question. That's a big question. That's a loaded question. Um, you know, as I, as I alluded to, you know, I've been into, I couldn't count how many plants I've walked through in my career. Um, I wouldn't know where to begin. So, and in every industry. Uh, so the applications are so different and the needs of the customer, uh, you know, their, their personal goals. You know, we try to identify what the mission statement is for a company before we visit with them, you know, just to understand what their 
also some of them are heavily revolved around safety. Some of it's around sanitation. Some of it's around, uh, you know, productivity. So depending upon the goals of the company may be an, an impact on what type of equipment they want to use. So there, unfortunately, Chris, there is no magic wand. I wish there was. Um, but it's funny. We use the same expression and say, yeah, if we had a magic wand and this is the way to go. That being said, the class two div two stuff has come a long way. And I think it's the middle ground. You and I have spoken many times about what's, what's good enough. It's in a price point and a price range that's, uh, you know, reasonable. It's, it's easy to use. It's readily available on the market. And I think the class two div two stuff has really gotten that 80%, you know, that 80, 20 rule, the 80% covered, you know, so in getting into that, it's a step up from more commercial grade vacuums or non-certified vacuums. Most of it you can get with a, a certification at a reasonable price, you know, under 10,000, under 5,000, really most of the times you can get under $5,000. Um, and so, you know, uh, for that price point to be able to be certified and clean up your plant, I think, um, you know, it's, it's something that is the, the general go-to and it's plug into any 110 volt outlet, use it anywhere in the plant, um, very portable, easy to use. So this is a solution to get you well on your way. If you're, if you're just looking to get into uh, something that's going to start solving your problems, we try to talk customers into saying, look, just start with something, right? Get, get the dust picked up in most of the areas, solve your 80% of your problem by, by using something today, get rid of the brooms, get rid of the blow guns, you know, stop blowing stuff around and making the problem worse. Let's, let's get it collected and contained and, and start going toward a resolution. Right. So that's, I think that's the general place we, we send our customers to um, who are looking to get into this direction, right? Education. You can't lose with education. Uh, The things we're doing here, things we do in the plants call call our company call one of our another vacuum company that's reputable in the industry and just start learning you know about what these processes are and what you need to do that's that's a huge part of the battle you know is to really just understand what the risks are and how we move forward so um, we gladly help teach anyone who is listening uh, and i'm sure even our competitors would do the same. So it's um, so there's plenty of information out there. It's just getting involved and, and and taking a step in the right direction. So I think that's those are my, you know, from my perspective, what I think the two biggest things would be is is number one education. I had them backwards, but number one education, and number two, get something that's certified uh, and just start cleaning because that's gonna that's gonna get you most of the way. So I couldn't think of a better place to end off and. We actually closed up the last episode with a quote from the the late Trevor Kletz. Um, I think I'll close out this one as with a with another quote. Um, so the the quote I'll close out with: If you, if you think safety is expensive, um, try having an accident. <laughs> and I'll actually add to that: If you're having a fire, you know, if you're having multiple fires a year, dare I say, a fire a month, dare I say, a fire a week, and that's your kind of Friday lunchtime bell, which I've I've heard of. You know, tally that up. Is, is that costing you $5,000 or $10,000 a year? And would it be better to invest that money instead of down the hole into a, into a safer solution? Um, and then heaven forbid you have the case where you have a catastrophic escalating incident. And then, then we'll really kind of find out what the, what the price of safety is at the end of the day. 
so Scott, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you talking about talking through design certification. I learned a ton. Um, I know the audience learned a lot as well. So I look forward to the chance to to meet up in Minneapolis. We have a museum we need to to go to at some point there. For those that don't know, there's a a, a flower dust explosion museum. Or can you share the name of that? You have it on. Yes, it's the it's the Mills Museum in St. Paul, Minnesota. And it, it, they do a live dust explosion at there. It's based on an old General Mills uh, plant that, that uh, had an explosion and, and it was a fatal explosion. Uh, left a 30 foot crater in the earth and blew bricks all the way across the river. And um, this is back, uh, you know, years ago. And uh, one of the earlier, earlier recorded ex- dust explosions in the United States here, of course, we've been having them for as long as history allows, but um you know, but if you if you go to this uh, museum, you can come here to Delphi and see our products and see our, our stuff. We, we actually do training here and then we bring all the people who do training. We bring them to the museum and um, we have a partnership with there as well, too. So I think, you know, if you're coming to Minnesota, it's it's a it's a must see. It's uh, it's fun. It's a it's a pretty cool museum in itself, but but also to have the combustible dust part of it, it's really, really unique as well. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, if you, you go check it out, you should bring your, your kids because they should know about dust explosions, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm going to bring my son. Um, and while you're there, definitely check out uh, a dolphin in the area as well. So you've been listening to myself, Chris Cloney, and Scott Borsma talk about design and certification of explosion-proof vacuum systems. We covered a lot of ground. We covered everything from the, the background to how Scott got started, how Delphin got started. Uh, what is an explosion-proof vacuum? What are the features and components that are necessary? Grounding, bonding, internal bonding, external or internal and external grounding and bonding, how that relates to different hazardous areas that you're looking at. The fact that you you really, uh, a dust collector that collects combustible dust, sorry, an explosion-proof vacuum, not that we didn't touch on this, but a dust collector is not an explosion-proof vacuum, but <laughs> they're not interchangeable. Um, but the point I want to say is that an explosion-proof vacuum has the hazardous area inside if it's containing combustible dust, so it needs to be protected properly. Talked to a lot of challenges around certification, a lot of educational parts about the different, like arcing and different parts of, of explosion protection. And we got into some of the challenges, uh, some of the challenges around certification, type of full production certification versus, you know, certifying um, in place kind of single unit, and how how that all impacts you as the end user and the end buyer of these systems. Um, and the, the level of confidence you can have of what you're getting. So I really appreciate Scott coming on. Uh, as, I, as we mentioned, we'll put links to that museum, and I encourage you to check out Delphin while you're there. Uh, if you want to talk to Scott further, we'll have his contact information in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 35. And yeah, Delphin's been a big supporter of Dust Safety Science. They're part of our uh, membership industry directory, so you can find them there on the website. If you want to know more about the industry directory, you can go to dustsafetyscience.com slash members. Um, definitely connect with our service and equipment providers throughout the combustible dust landscape. And if you're looking to be featured there, um, you can reach out to me to, to find that as well. So as always, I want to thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. And I really appreciate the work you're doing in industries handling combustible dust around the world every day. Mm-hmm.